What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. Well, um, we're live now. Oh, now we're on. Now we're on. So tricky around here. So. So is a needle pulling thread. Yeah. Ray. (laughs) (laughs) Some dude. (laughs) Now. Uh, Kick us off with something goofy. Hey, guys, we are here. We're talking bees. Imagine that on the hive job. We're going <laughs> to talk bees. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have ever thought? And it's springtime. Oh, by the way, by the way, mm-hmm. any lewd... <laughs> any rude? <laughs> any rude bees out there? I don't know. It sounded like I said the hell out of you what they're going to do. Rude bees. <laughs> I don't know what that word was going to be. Rude bees. Um... For anybody just joining us, just tuning in, anybody who this is the first time listening to the podcast, hi, welcome, thank you so much for joining. Please push stop and go back and find episode one from season one. (laughs) And if you are a beginner beekeeper, that is where you would definitely want to start. You can definitely, you know, if you want to jump in here and listen to this episode, that is all fine and dandy. But what we are talking about right now is coming out of your first season of beekeeping and getting started with your second season. And coming out of that first winter, hopefully all the hives survived. But if you just bought your bees, if you have bees that are on the way, and you've never listened to another episode of the Hive Jive ever before, go back to episode one. <laughs> and as you know, I'm talking to you in my FM voice now. Uh, of course, I started beekeeping last year. John says, okay, Ken, we're going to start you out with a handful of bees. Uh, I think I started out with nine hives. And by the end of April, 1st of May, I should have somewhere around 25 to 30. And mind you, John (laughs) said, let's start with three hives. Three, not nine, not 12, not 25. I was supposed to have a Langstroth, a top bar, and a flow hive. Ooh, speaking of which, Ken, tell everybody what is in the back of your truck. That one item that is in the back of your truck. There is an eight-frame flow hive in the back of my truck. That's that right. That you're going to put together. That's right, yep. everybody. I'm tired of waiting on Ken and Max to get off their tushes because they see too many pieces with this thing. And granted, well, What else is back there for you? Well, no, that's that's irrelevant. Oh, we're not going to talk about no, that. No, okay. we're just talking about the flow hive because that has been a big area of uh, concern <laughs> and joking on the show for the last year. Uh, The concept, as you mentioned, was one Langstroth, one top bar, and one flow hive. The flow Mm -hmm. hive never got built. That's too hard to put together. There's too many pieces. So what I told Ken was, all right, you load that sucker up in the truck and you bring it down here. I'm going to put it together and then I'm going to send it back home with you. And we're going to take one of the eight frame hives that currently exists from last Mm -hmm. year. And we are going to transfer them into Mm -hmm. the flow box Mm -hmm. so that this year, despite all of the procrastination on you and Max's Mm -hmm. part, we're still going to have a flow hive in the mix and we're still going to harvest from the flow hive and see how that works. See, guys, and when it comes down to it. And I asking me on Facebook, is John put your flow hive together yet? <laughs> yeah, he will be. Getting ready to. Yeah, we're going to put, put it in the back of his truck here in a little That's bit. right. That's how that works. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to the show. Um, for those of you that we did not just chase off by telling you to go back to episode one, for those of you who have listened, you know, seven times over or on your, you know, even third or fourth time through, um, God bless you. 
you you have the patience of a saint <laughs> to listen <laughs> to us that many times over yeah. and over. Um, but we want to open up here as we have been doing for the last several weeks. We want to go through and give thank you to our newest patrons. So we have some new ones that have just shown up. We got some newbies. Newbies? Newbies. newbies. All right. So first and foremost, thank you to Doc with Imbleby Apiary. Thank really? you to Susan C., Jill H., and Corey from the 50-Foot Ranch. Those are our newest patrons the on 50 Patreon. The 50-Foot Ranch. The 50-Foot Ranch. What the hell is a 50-Foot Ranch? It's a tiny little ranch. I've actually been out there. They've got bees. They've got goats. They've got a couple of really, really? pretty dogs. Where yep. are they at? Uh, they are southish of, it's out near Smithville-ish. Okay. In a, in a, okay. There's a lot of ishes in there, right? Okay. So Bastrop, Smithville, somewhere out south of that, I believe. Okay. Um, and Bastrop I could be, County. I, I could be entirely wrong too. Mm-hmm. That could actually be more like, you know, uh, south of Del Valley. <laughs> okay. it's, it was a ways out there actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, I actually, I have actually been to the 50 foot ranch. I okay. went out there and did a, an evaluation for them. And did a little consultation on uh, one of their first hives that they had. So, and apparently it is just going to town, and they're looking at splitting it this year. She, uh, after she signed up, everybody gets a little video hello and thank you, and a little personalized message. And Corey had responded back and and was like, "Thank you so much," and gave me an update on all the stuff going on out there at the little fifty foot ranch. And it was very cool. So, thank you for that, Corey. It was great to hear how everybody's coming along. But thank you to all of our patrons, absolutely and especially. Thank you guys so much, guys and gals, kids and adults. It is amazing we to appreciate have, it. Yeah, to have all of that support. And uh, so for everybody else who is listening, who is like, what is this Patreon stuff you guys keep babbling on about? Patreon is a place where that is where all the bonus episodes now live. That is where uh, additional episodes called deeper dive episodes where we focus in on a specific topic and go really in depth on that topic. That's where they are. And the training and consultation videos live there as well. Also, uh, opportunities for discounts on upcoming merchandise, which speaking of merchandise, um, People are getting a little bit crazy about wanting to know when them t-shirts are going to show up. They're they're starting to kind of chomp at the bit on it, and we're getting a little bit closer. Um, they're, they are actually getting <laughs> so excited. We had uh, one of our listeners and Patreon followers, Bo, reached out and said uh, he actually started sending me contacts <laughs> for, for people <laughs> where, where that do screen printing. Made. Yeah, he's like, here, I've used these people. They're great. Look into it. Like, you know, it's basically like, hurry up and make the damn shirts. We've got them. Uh-huh. We want them. Um, we've had lots of people reach out and say that their kids are like super excited and waiting on them. There's one individual whose child is actually also, I think it was his daughter, is also designing her own T-shirt. And so, you know, everybody's all excited about that. And we are working on it. We will get it out there. There's just so many little things to to kind of fit in there. You know, it's the design, obviously, that's on us. But then after that, the quality of the printing, that's obviously a big thing. The quality of the shirt. I don't want some shirt that comes down to my knees. I don't want something that's thick and stiff as a board. We live in Texas. It's hot. I want something that's thin and soft. And also, then you got to put into the distribution aspect of it. You know, we want you guys, because you guys are all across the globe, and we want you guys to be able to place an order and basically have it drop shipped to you. We don't want it to have to be like, oh, well, I've got to go get shirts and I've got to take it to somebody. They've got to print them. Then I've got to get them back. Then I got to put them in the mail. You know, it would be better if it was a seamless kind of click buy ship type scenario. So we're trying to find the best of all worlds. And yes, I will admit it is definitely taking a long time but we're trying. Um, but anyhow, so for those of you out there, that's, that's what Patreon is. It's all this additional bonus information. 
additional content. So if the one Monday episode every week is just not enough Hive Jive in your life, that's where the rest of it is at. And Hive, uh, the uh, the Hive Jive on Patreon is set up to where you can get that additional um, fix <laughs> for yep. like for our Hive Jive yep. junkies out there. Um, but Patreon is a patron support system where patrons can go through and they can pledge a certain monetary. Well, I don't know if you want to call it a donation or a charge because it's set up like a service-based thing, so it's not really a donation. You don't get to write it off, um, but that's how that works, and there's different tiers, and with each tier, you get different things. So if you're interested in it and you want to check it out, it is patreon.com, and that is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash hive jive, and that's where you will find all the patron stuff. Um, also, need to find my phone. We got a couple little updates on here that we've got to do real quick. And we actually have a video that we need to do as well. Um, This is a a clarification. We had a listener. Our listener, David, reached out to us, and he wanted some clarification from last week's episode Mm -hmm. where we talked about the reversing of the boxes. Mm -hmm. Did that on one of mine. We did. We did that Mm -hmm. on a couple of yours, actually. So David says... Quote, unquote, John has me a bit confused at the moment. He said that if my top hive body or hive box is full of honey, that we need to put that one on the bottom. But then he said to put drawn comb above the hive body that I put on top of the honey or they or they look at that as empty space. What if I don't have any drawn comb? So that is, there was a lot of different things in that episode that we talked about, switching boxes and Mm -hmm. doing things like that. And just to recap real quick, so there's multiple examples. And the first example that we gave everybody was if you go through, this whole thing pertains to if you, this whole thing pertains to if you have already two boxes, if you overwintered with two boxes, be that a deep and a medium or two deeps. And... So for the whole concept to work, you've got to at least have two boxes. If you don't, then, you know, ignore this. This is this would be irrelevant for that. So first and foremost, if you find that the very bottom box is completely empty and all of the bees brewed and any remaining food is in the top box, then you simply swap or reverse those two boxes. That was step one. And if that was your scenario, then you don't have to worry about anything beyond that, right? But if you come and you look and you find that the bees are still in the bottom box and the top box is completely full of capped honey, then you have a different situation. The bees, you know, they they look at above their head as their food stores, right? And if that's already completely full and they're down in the bottom box, that means they don't really have a lot of room to expand for their spring expansion. So they're going to hit swarm stage way faster and they'll run out of room. They'll be ready to swarm. So what we said was, and there is a there is a catch in here for sure, and it's that drawn comb, which you obviously have a lot of, Ken. I do. <laughs> so what you do deep and medium is you want to take you want to take all that capped food off from above their head. Now, mm-hmm. if there's brood between those two boxes, you do not want to do this. You never split your brood nest in half. You don't want to do that. So what you would do is all the brood and bees are in the bottom box, all the food is in the top box. You take the top box and you switch it to the bottom, just like we talked about in the first scenario. But now you've got all the food below them and all the bees above them, but they still don't have any extra space because that other space is taken up with food. This is where that extra box comes in. If you have a box of drawn comb, you put it on top of the bees Mm -hmm. and they can then instantly move up into that comb and start utilizing that space as well. And it will prolong the swarming urge. If you don't, then what's going to end up happening is you can put a box of empty comb up there, like frames of just foundation. You mm-hmm. can put it up there. And if you start feeding your bees a little bit, 
You can do the one-to-one sugar solution. Um, if it is warm enough, don't start doing it in the middle of winter. Once your spring starts to roll around and it's warm enough, you can start doing that one-to-one sugar solution, and the bees may start drawing out that comb, just like they would, because as you move through spring, and we talk in future episodes, you'll hear on here, where you go ahead and you start adding boxes, mm-hmm. kind of the same concept you mm-hmm. did at the, the beginning of your first year once they filled up that first box. But they may start drawing out that comb. Now, what's still going to happen, though, is potentially... Once they get up in there and they start drawing comb, they're still going to hit their maximum space threshold really quick with what's already existing. And they still may go into that swarm urge to, you know, because they, they've ran out of space. And we will have an episode coming up that we'll go through and we'll we'll talk again. We did in the first season, but we'll talk again in depth on swarming and what triggers it and all that stuff. So that's kind of uh, of what you're looking at. So, yes, David, if you don't have drawn comb and your box is full of honey, you can flip those. One of the other things you can do is you can take out some of the the frames of drawn honey, set them aside, give them to another colony if you have multiples that may need food. You can do things like that and free up a little bit of that space, but you're still going to have to add in empty foundation if you don't have drawn comb. And then you just you get the bees to draw it out. So it is a walking a tightrope kind of game. A lot of things in beekeeping are. But that's kind of the the concept of what we were talking about there. And again, none of this is do or die. If you're if you know the whole point is to try to keep your bees from swarming. But if they do swarm, it is not the end of the world. You didn't lose, you know. And it doesn't. It does mean that you might get a little bit less of a, a honey harvest, but it doesn't actually mean you won't get any at all. Um, splitting a colony means more like you're not going to get a honey harvest. But a swarm, if it's an early swarm in the year, then you've still got plenty of time to go through and get a honey harvest out of that. And potentially you could catch that swarm. If if you're there and you're paying attention and then you have another hive and you can increase your hives. So Free you can bees. also, if you catch them in the process of wanting to swarm, but they haven't yet, you can do a split and then go through and get extra hives that way. So it's all just a balancing act, really. But I did want to touch on that and go through and uh, make sure that we were all aware and make sure that we were up to speed here. The other thing was a video that was sent in. This is from our listener, Paula, and uh, we've actually talked to Paula before. She had sent us a very heartwarming message, and she says, Good morning, guys. First of all, she wants to wish you, Ken, a very well and speedy recovery. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm happy. She says that she is actually in somewhat uh, of the same spot here recently. She's been laying a couple of days in the hospital after a procedure. And then she says, but I hope that you get better soon. And uh, we did reach out to her and tell her we hope that she gets better as well and has a speedy recovery. And she says, secondly, I got this video of a gentleman named Rhett and Link doing crazy stuff with bees. Could you guys maybe explain what's going on here? So the the video title is 10,000 Bees Beard. Well, 10,000 bees is is just roughly the amount of bees in a package. It's actually a little bit more. There's about 9,000 bees in a package. So imagine a package of bees on a man's face. And what these guys are doing is they have taken the swarm lures that have the queen pheromone on them, and they've hung it around the guy's neck. So it smells like he's got a queen. And then they take a package of like nurse bees and they start shaking them out. And so that they're all getting up, riled up in the air and everything. And then they're all attracted to that smell of that for that pheromone. And they'll go to the guy. He's actually got kind of like a, a blanket or a bib in his lap. So they've kind of dumped them in his lap and then they're letting them crawl up the front of him. And they're going to crawl all the way up and they're going to ball up around that thing that's around his neck where the pheromone is. And it will create what they call a quote unquote bee beard. And it's really just um, 
it's showing off. <laughs> it's really all it's doing. I There's, think we let Eric do that. Eric has a real beard. Yeah. He don't need a bee beard. Oh. <laughs> He's shaking his head no. He's like, no, 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 no. No, I'm good. <laughs> but so the the whole point of it is just it's kind of just a fun little thing. Some beekeepers do it. Um, there's a beekeeper here in Austin that is... Uh, he has a really cool video that he has done with a bee beard and he has it on there and films it and then he shakes his head and they all fly off of there. But there's there's Take a lot of, of well, no, no, there's a lot of things that go on there. So when the bees are hanging on, they do grip and they can bite to hang on or they can use the little pincers on their feet and hang on that way. The dorsal claws. And so you will feel little little like nips of pressure and little tugs and pulls as the bees are hanging on to your skin. Um and, you know, a bee could get agitated and could sting you. But you so there is some definite risks to this. But the majority of the bees that they're doing in there are younger bees out of like a nuke or a package. And those bees are coming up and they're balling up around that pheromone. You can also put a queen in a cage and do the same thing. But this is not something that we advocate everybody needs to do. Um, it can be it can be a serious situation. You've got to be very calm, very gentle, very still. But it's really just kind of a like, hey, look at this cool thing I can do. Um, there is no valid beekeeping point to do it it's just a fun little oh, thing to do make a hive out of you. well you know no they, they're <laughs> definitely not going to do that so that is uh that are that's our updates that we had for everybody we wanted just to kind of get those things out there for everyone um mr ken before mm-hmm. we go into the main segment was there anything else you needed to add we uh we you went out and did treatments yes yes we did went and did treatments and uh uh everything i guess i'll open them up uh sunday when it's supposed to be 80 degrees at the house and uh pull all the empty wrappers out or whatever and uh see how everybody looks and if they need feed we'll feed them again yeah there you go and we treated with the formic acid strips mm-hmm. we used the mightaway quick strips and uh, or max maqs and the formic acid it is my favorite treatment it is the only thing out there that is organic it is naturally occurring in honey. Insects naturally produce it. Certain insects, especially like ants and uh, termites and stuff, they actually naturally produce it. And it is the only treatment that will treat both the mites that are on the bee, but also the mites that are under the cappings. Really? Now, for us in Central Texas, early, early spring and late, late fall are the only times we can use it because the temperature restraints on it are that if it yeah. goes above a certain mark you no longer can use it because it can off gas so quickly it could it could chase your hive away or kill your hive and so you know this time of year coming into it it's good to treat if you have mite thresholds that are over that one percent mark or two percent mark depending on the time of year um, you definitely want to go through and treat because you don't want any of that spring brood that's going to be born to already start off with a crutch start off with any type of disease or hindrance or anything like that that's your forage for us that's your potential honey harvest coming up so you want to make sure to treat them well and so we did the formic acid strips it is a seven day treatment the first three days are the actual active treatment that's when it's actually doing all the fuming and off-gassing and everything and the after that the next four days are to give the bees enough time to forgive you for the horrible thing you just did to them because it definitely makes them a little testy and so you wait the full seven days even though the treatment's really happening in the first three before you go back and remove it and that's just to give the bees time to calm down you don't want to you know 
irritate them to the point where they want to swarm or abscond or chase you or, or get you or anything like that. So um, on that seventh day, you pull that treatment back out and then you carry on with your, your normal beekeeping practices. And we've mentioned it before. We do have episodes on the way where we are going to be doing in-depth looks and conversations about varroa mites and about treatment and about this stuff. We have some amazing interviews lined up with some individuals. And so that is coming. But until then, and I will say this ad nauseum as many times as I possibly can, but do a Google search for Varroa Management Guide or the Honeybee Health Coalition. Those two things will take you to the same spot. But the Varroa Management Guide is the end-all be-all of mites and mite treatments. It walks you through every treatment that is currently on the market, how to use those treatments, how effective those treatments are, or the efficacy of, of how well they work. And it tells you if it if it's this time of year and your bees are doing this and your temperatures outside are this, then these are the things you should use. This is what's going to be most effective. This is what's going to be least effective. It is an invaluable tool. You guys need to have it. You need to print it off. You need to keep it in your beekeeping stuff. It tells you everything. It tells you how to do the mite checks, all the different types of checks. It tells you how to calculate that one to two percent ratio so again varroa management guide honeybee health coalition look it up read it have it on hand it, it should be part of your beekeeping bible to have available now then to the main segment today we are actually talking about horizontal hive styles and pre-spring prep for horizontal hives now the horizontal hive can be a top bar hive, which you have two of, Ken. It can be a long lang. It can be a layens hive. It can be a cathedral hive. It can be any of these hives that are on a single plane that run horizontally. Mm -hmm. So not the boxes that stack. Langstroth, guys, we're done talking about you for today. Um, But the top bar hives. You, you know, we just went through and we did this entire episode and we told people, hey, rotate boxes and do this. But all of the people out there that have any of these horizontal style hives are like, well, what about me? What do I do? So pay attention, Ken. Here you go. Here's what you're going to have to do. First and foremost, when we talked about rotating boxes, you can't really rotate a box on a top bar hive, right? There's no boxes to it. But what you can do is you can rotate your comb so you can move the comb around. Now, at the beginning of the year, more than likely, obviously, when you put your bees in there, they started at the front by the entrance Mm -hmm. and they built outward. So you have to look at it instead of building up, they're building out and they're kind of do like an accordion. So they've built from the entrance. We're going to say the entrance is on the left side of the hive just for a visual. So everybody kind of, if you want to have a real good visual of what we're talking about here, draw a rectangle out and on the left side of that rectangle, that's where you started. And you can make little lines on that rectangle to insinuate the bees have drawn comb as they've extended outward towards the right. Well, then as Midsummer starts to come in and they're backfilling with honey. Well, that honey starts to fill up the combs from the right and move back towards the left, which condenses your brood nest down to that left side. Mm -hmm. And all your honey is then over towards the right side. Every once in a while, you might have some creative bees that did the opposite. They may have <laughs> went all the way out one way and then started backfilling the other direction. But they were just left-handed bees. Yeah, they were they, exactly. They were left-handed bees. So, however, yours is set up. The main point is if you're if you've got the wooden wall of the far left of the hive and then you've got all this empty comb and then you've got all this capped solid honey, your bees are actually trapped between the wooden wall and the honey wall. And that's kind of a concept of being honey bound. As the bees start raising new brood and that new young goes and starts building new wax, they're going to build the new wax and the new bars and, and comb on the other side of the honey wall. 
but your queen is not going to cross multiple combs of capped honey to lay in these new comb that are clear out there on the other side. So what you can do is you can start by when it's warm enough and you can get in there and do your first spring check, your real good spring check on your top bar hives and your, your long langs and any of these horizontal style hives. What you can do is you can take your bars or frames of mm-hmm. capped honey that are on the far end, pull them out, move them over so that you have the left side we've been hypothetically talking about. You've got the wooden wall of the left side of the hive, and then you're going to put all of your solid comb of honey right there. Bam, 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 bam. So you'll come in the entrance, and it's solid combs of honey, then your brood nest, and then any open, empty comb. So solid honey to the left, brood nest in the middle, open, empty comb out to the right assuming the entrance is on the left. Now, the whole point of that is because as they go and they start building the new comb at the end of the colony, well, now that is all open comb leading straight to it. So your queen doesn't get trapped. The honey is behind her and over against the wall, and there's no point for her to go that direction. She can lay that brood nest, and as they build new comb, she can continue straight into that new comb, and she doesn't get trapped or honey bound, and your colony can actually expand and grow and get even bigger. So that is the main point right there. That's what I want everybody to really understand and get a grasp of. And I know that hearing this is not nearly as as good as visually seeing it. So I'm going to try to, I've got a PowerPoint presentation that talks about this. And if I can figure out how to do it, I will go through and I will record this little segment that gives you just a visual representation of how things shift around. And then we'll try to post that out there on social media um, if I can get it to be a minute or less in that recording. But so that's really the main thing. So if you need to go ahead and pause your podcast right now, rewind back to the beginning of this little uh, discussion and and re-listen to that a couple of times if you need to to really understand the gist of what I'm talking about here. But it's rotating bars and rotating comb instead of rotating boxes. Take all your honey from the far end where the colony ends and move it over against the wall where the colony starts. And then allow the brood nest to be right up against the food because they need to be close to that. But then allow any empty un- or any empty drawn comb that's unused at the moment to be out towards the end touching the brood nest so the brood nest can expand into that comb as it grows so hopefully that makes sense to you guys again listen to that a couple of times over if you need to outside of that you still want to do the same things we talked about on the other episode you still want to go through you still want to treat which we did not treat your hives yet ken on the top bars we didn't treat those um so we need to go do the mite tests on those you can do the sugar shake or you can do the alcohol wash Mm -hmm. the sugar shake is going to give you an idea but it's not as accurate as the alcohol wash however the alcohol wash is going to kill all of the bees that you test whereas the sugar shake will not it'll just irritate the hell out of them so that's up to you if your colony is very small do a sugar shake if your colony is robust and already growing and expanding and there's plenty of bees in there do the alcohol wash as your test And again, Varroa Management Guide, Honeybee Health Coalition walks you through step by step how to do this. Go and read it, memorize it, know exactly what to do, how to do these different steps. So do your test. If your mites show they're below the threshold, then don't worry about treating. There's no point in stressing the bees out if they don't have a mite load or if there's no mites in there. Don't stress them out. Don't treat them. If you're doing natural beekeeping and you want to do other methods of, you know, mite control, then that is absolutely fine as well. Go that direction. Do some research on that. Check out some of the stuff that Les Crowder has out there. Check out some of the things on Be Mindful with Les and Natalie, and they will go through and kind of walk you guys through some of the steps. We also will have a guest coming on the show that will talk about certain things like integrative pest management, and that can start on those 
uh, non-treating natural approaches, and then it bridges over into organic approaches, and then ultimately into synthetic, which we all try to avoid that. That's the bad stuff. But do your mite check first. If you find that you have mites, you do want to go through and treat your top bar. But treating a top bar can be tricky because you can't lay like on the formic acid strips that we did. They had to go on top of the brood, right? So you can't put them on top of brood when you're looking at a top bar because those bars are all solid. So you have to actually lay it on the bottom of the hive directly below the brood. It's not the ideal setup. It's not exactly how we want it to go, but you can do that and it will still work. Also, if your top bar is smaller, there's less space there and you may not have as much volume as a true deep hive. So what I've even done in some cases is I've taken those formic acid strips and I've cut them in half and then still rewrap them so that they were secure like they should be and, and put the just half a strip in there because I didn't need a full strip to treat the size of the colony that was inside there. They may have only been like a nuke size. And so that is one of the things that you can do as well. The other types of treatments that you can use for a top bar are going to be oxalic acid. If your top bar has got an opening big enough that you can get the vaporizer inside there, you can do that. You can also do the oxalic acid drip, um, which is something that is talked about in, again, the Varroa Management Guide. And you can do the thymol. But thymol is what Ken and I used last year, and we did not like the results that we got from it. But the thymol and the formic acid would both be laid on the bottom of the top bar hive or the long hive. Um, well, actually, I take that back. This is just specifically top bar. Uh, because if you have a long laying, then you can still lay these things across the tops of the bars like you're supposed to do and you have more treatment options. But for those of you who just have a top bar, those bars make a solid roof. You can't really do that. So what you do instead is you put it on the bottom and you can do the formic acid on the bottom. You can do the thymol on the bottom. The oxalic acid is either drip on the bees or it's a vaporization that goes through and helps that way. But you got to be able to get it in there just right. So that is how you would go through and treat. Your other thing is going to be checking your food stores. Obviously, if you went through and you rotated combs of honey to the front of the hive, then you already know you've got some food stores there. If not, go ahead and move any food stores you do have back to the front of the hive leave that back part open and then once your temperatures average daytime temperatures are above 60 degrees or at at least the 60 degree mark and up not below you can then look at starting to feed the one-to-one liquid sugar solution again one part water one part sugar but when you do that you're you're done you are committed so once you start feeding your bees liquid sugar syrup you are committed your spring maintenance has begun the bees will absolutely start brooding up and everybody's going to start exploding so you got to stay on it if you're still up in the northern states or if you're somewhere where winter has still you know is still in a tight grip and you're not like Ken and not going to have an 80 degree day then you definitely want to not do that if there's not food in there for them feed them one of the solid sugar things that we talked about in one of the previous episodes the solid sugars are better it provides the sugar that they need for the carbohydrates to continue to generate the heat and feed the babies but it doesn't encourage rapid expansion and growth of new brood and new mouths that need to be fed so don't do the liquid until it's warm enough because again they got to dehydrate it down it creates a lot of moisture in your hive so don't jump the gun on that and make sure that you kind of stay in check on it so that that kind of wraps up everything that we have there, everything that you guys need to know on if you're doing a top bar, if you're doing a horizontal hive, how you would rotate your frames and bars versus rotating a box because you don't have boxes to rotate. So hopefully that'll go through and give you guys a little bit of information on there for that. And do you have anything you want to add in there? It's getting dry around here. 
out in your neck of the woods. It is dry. It's not dry at my house. Oh, you getting rain? Yeah, we've been we've been getting. Um, we had a couple of inches here like a week or so ago. Do you know the little purple flowers that they grow real close to the ground? They're little purple flowers. They have clusters on them. Have you ever seen them? Mm. We've got them out at the house. You'd have to show me a picture of it before I would really know. Well, does it I'll does it have more. like a long tendril with some little skinny leaves and little purple flowers all over it, but it stays kind of low lying? Because if so, no. that's hairy vetch, which you should know what that is. Yeah. Um, it. I don't know. I would I'll have send, to see it. I'll send you a picture. Uh, we got lots of them, and I noticed that we do have uh, the bees are bringing in a pollen, and I figure it's that. I don't know. I'll, I'll send you some pictures. Yep. Um, yeah, no, send, send some pictures to me and I can, I I can check it out and see uh, if I know what it is. There's a lot of things that grow at my apiary that uh, like, I can't identify them. I'm like, what is that? Some of the things that, uh, one of the coolest ones that I saw last year and I had to take it and then like actually go do research to figure out what it was, but it was actually called, I don't remember if it was purple or blue. I want to say it was a blue curl flower. And blue curl. yeah, and what it it's like rolled up and it unrolls like a tentacle and it has all these little pods. It reminds me really of a tentacle, hmm. like an octopus squid arm kind of thing. And it's got all these little flowers that are on the underside of it as it unrolls and all these flowers open up. Mm-hmm. It was a really beautiful little plant, but I had never seen it before. And oh, I was yeah. like, that is so cool. So uh, I went and checked it out and uh, kind of, you know, had you learn as you I go. I want you, more seeds. I want either honey or seeds from Jeruba Boomer Boom Boom. <laughs> You're just not going to let that go, are you? <laughs> no, I thought the best money I write. Uh, Australian Jer- honey. Jerobabra. Yeah. The the full word in the... Uh, urban honey. It's urban honey. Urban honey. Is is. The full word in the redneck language is Jerobambera. Jerobambera. Yeah. yeah. That's how we uh, redneck Jerobambera. Americans say it. Um, but I believe in Australia, it's Jerobambera. It's good honey. It's, it's, it's very it's thick. It's very different honey of what anything i've ever had yeah it's very thick it is reminiscent of a, a little bit like the tree honeys that we have but it's got some other stuff obviously in there and it is coming from butterscotch a, in it no it's coming from a neighborhood <laughs> kind of district area in uh, in australia so it's you know it's whatever was growing out there it is in some aspects it's kind of a wildflower honey and um we're gonna probably find out that's where werther's Butterscotch candies are made. <laughs> no, it's the not. Bees are attacking them. It's eating all the Werther's. Yeah. It's not real nectar. It's, it's coming good. from the Werther's it's plant. Um, that was something that was kind of cool. That was several years ago in the news, though. But the the bees over by where M and M's were made, and they had barrels of castings out there, and the bees were licking on the sugar coatings, and then bringing it back to the hive, and you ended up with beekeepers that had this like rainbow multicolored honey oh, inside there. Messed with them. Yeah, I did. It was really it was really kind of interesting to see, but. Um, that happens from time to time, especially if it's like bird feeders mm-hmm. or well, like the hummingbird feeders. Don't don't put dye in your bird feeder. It's not good for the animals. It's not good for the insects. They don't need it. Get a feeder that's tinted if you want to have that red look to it or, you know, has the red on it. But don't put red dye in your actual feeder. Uh, but you can tell when your bees find one of those because suddenly oh, yeah. red liquid starts showing up inside your colony. And you're like, what is this? Um, but, yeah, there's uh, there's all kinds of fun things. So. Coming up here on one of our future episodes, probably sooner rather than later, we will actually be graced by the presence of Mary Reed, who is our chief apiary inspector. For <laughs> chief apiary inspector for the state of Texas. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> I got all tongue tied. <laughs> yeah, we will have Mary Reed, the chief apiary inspector for the state of Texas, will be live here in the studio with us, and we'll we'll give you guys a rundown of 
what an apiary inspector is, what they do, what they look for. We'll get some of the insights from her on anything from commercial beekeeping and how many hives come and go through the state of Texas to what are some of the most challenging aspects she finds for beekeepers and what are the most important tasks that she thinks beekeepers should do. So that will be a very, very interesting interview. And she is a fun lady. So I'm really looking forward to that. And she's actually super excited. Um, I've been warning her for Oh, about a year now, ever since we started the podcast, every time I'd see her, I'd be like, by the way, you will be on the show one of these days. And then I finally sent out that message and I was like, all right, I warned you, the time has come. We're ready for you. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I'm so excited. So uh, we're looking forward to that. So that will be an episode coming up down the road here pretty soon. And as I mentioned, we also have uh, great interviews on the way where we are going to go through and break down topics such as the Varroa mite and treatments and IPM and all that kind of stuff. And we're, we're going to spread them out a little bit so you guys aren't overwhelmed. We did do a poll on Patreon. And ultimately, yeah, let's do a solid month of it. But there was some really good points made by some of our Australian listeners and fans where they were like, hey, like, you know, we're the only place that really doesn't have the Varroa mite. And so an entire month, and you of, don't want them. Well, yeah, you don't want them. But but, you know, the feeling was that an entire month of it really would kind of alienate a big chunk of our audience. Yeah, I guess it would. And because they're like, well, this doesn't apply to me. And some of the some of the Australian listeners were like, yes, but eventually it will get here. Or it may get here, and so That's our, we like the coronavirus. Oh God, man, let's not even go there. That's <laughs> that is. I don't know what to think of that yet. Um, there's been some. I don't want to necessarily repeat any of it because I don't know if it was speculatory or if it was hype. But there's uh, there there's it, it's just an ever growing, ever developing thing, and we're actually having to start to put into play some potential cautionary uh, contingency plans for events and things like that, just in case, because we don't know. know. We have no idea what will happen. But yeah, that that's unfortunately potentially on the way, too. But I don't want to think about that right now. Nope. Um, but anyhow, we, ha- we have some great interviews and everything coming up for you guys. And what we're going to end up doing is we will break up all the mite-related stuff and maybe just do one or two episodes every month or so for several months to give you the information and really kind of get you that, but not make everybody feel like they're overwhelmed and they've just been beat to death by it. So that's kind of the plan. But hopefully this uh, this went through and helped all you horizontal hive beekeepers out there kind of understand, you know, you felt left out by the last episode on rotating boxes. So now you can go through and understand how to rotate comb and hopefully that will help you guys out there. And uh, as always, we will be back next Monday with another episode of the Hive Jive. And uh, for all you patrons on Patreon, you've got a bonus episode coming up on Thursday and a deeper dive episode that actually just came out this weekend. So you should be good to go on that and it's going to be beautiful weather so gorgeous, building yeah. a top bar training and educational video should be on its way very quickly as well for you patrons out there so be sure to check that out if you're subscribed to that level and until next monday you guys be good y'all be warm <laughs> be safe and oh i know where you can get more high uh yeah. the guy bye, bye. <laughs> <y'all> It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.